Battle Line podcast. Before we get into everything, uh, I actually want to go off script a little bit because now that I've been taking Ned's brain blend for uh, a month now, I actually am really feeling the effects of it, I have to say. Um, just to get into my background a little bit, uh, I was diagnosed with ADD in middle school, actually, and I was put on Adderall, I was put on Metadate. The thing for me is that I naturally uh, had really low weight, so I wasn't look definitely not looking to lose weight, and you end up losing weight taking that type of stuff. So uh, I got off of it. I ended up getting into the nootropic type of stuff. I ended up getting into like ginkgo biloba leaf, which I always thought was effective, and as someone who's like always followed the field of uh supplements i realize a lot of brands have now been doing the mushroom e extract stuff uh, and i'm talking about mushroom extract yeah. not magic mushrooms or anything like that and i don't think any of that really uh did much for me so i was really excited when ned put out the brain blend because i was thinking man this will probably be something different and i always like their supplements uh since we've used them and since yeah. they've been a sponsor and this does use ginkgo biloba leaf, which has always been effective with me, as well as the lion's mane and the uh, the CBD hemp uh, oil in there as well. So it's it's really been a two-in-one supplement because it's great for all the effects of CBD in terms of joint recovery and muscle relief and all that, and also just sleep, post-traumatic stress for people who are suffering from that. But at the same time, this is a supplement for your mind. So I see it as just a great two-in-one supplement. It's something I take every night, and it's something I'm going to continue to take. Well, and, and full disclosure, guys, I haven't taken the brain the brain blend yet. I still just stick with the CBD oil, and then also the uh, the the muscle relief balm, the pain relief balm, which I is love that, so. which is awesome. So, um, yeah, hey, if Ian says it's working, Ian doesn't lie, guys. He tell you this, but he doesn't. At least I haven't caught him in any lies yet. If he does, <laughs> I will, we'll point it out on the show. And if he says it's working for him, it's working for him. The stuff that I take definitely works for me. Uh, helps out with the inflammation. Uh, the pain relief balm helps out with the soreness, especially the soreness I'm getting in my quad now that I'm having to stretch it back out after, yeah. after rup rupturing it about five weeks ago. So, um, guys, I, Ned is tremendous. Top-notch products, top-notch group, top-notch uh, head shed up there, headquarters element that runs their show up in Colorado, and the product speaks for itself. So, uh, we'd be idiots to tell you to not take it, take, take Ned. So take Ned and, and you're going to, your life's going to improve. Definitely, definitely going to improve leaps and bounds, just like mine and Ian has. Absolutely. And yeah, I do love that pain relief bomb. The, uh, yeah, the menthol, man, when yeah. you put it on, wait, wait <laughs> like a minute for it to kick in and yeah. that stuff is powerful. And, and also that container is going to last you a while. So yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, these products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Ned CBD is cold extracted from the world's purest USDA-certified organic hemp in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Full transparency, Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their site. Ned's CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, so become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter code BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash BATTLELINE. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues.
From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Battle Line Podcast. And uh, we have a few things I wanted to cover here before we get to Ed Ford and Alan Chieson, uh, authors of Postcards Through Hell. Uh, man, the, the past 24 hours has been interesting because it's actually been the most publicity, I believe, that this show has ever gotten. And for something completely unexpected. Uh-huh. I mean, the main thing we cover is the special operations military world, the Second Amendment world. And that interview with Edsel Dope from Static X and just yeah. uh, Edsel Dope, I should say, executive producer of Static X and from Dope and his comments about Static X uh, it originally got picked up by Blabbermouth and then the PRP out of Canada picked it up and then Metal Injection picked it up. And uh, We Are the Pit and all these sites uh, picked up on this one excerpt from the show. And uh, yeah, it, it got a lot of traction. It's really cool to see even for something unexpected like that well it's it's cool to see that the tie-in between rock music and the military community there's a huge tie-in there and you know it's because that's what we that's what we listen to when we're downrange that's what that's what helps get us through times and we come back i think rock music uh, especially that kind of rock music which is where they still play their own instruments and you know that talented musicians they actually capture some of the feelings that we have when we come back. You know, you see it with madness and all that remains. You see it with some of the stuff from Five Finger Death Punch. You see it st- with stuff through, you know, well, well, I mean, look what, look what Dope did. I mean, with the stuff that happened at the, at the, at Abu Ghraib, at the, yeah, 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 Guantanamo, yeah, 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 Guantanamo, and, and, um, they, I, 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 I think there's it's just a closeness, a brotherhood between veterans and rock music and, and musicians. And there's a healthy respect for musicians. Every musician we've had on, from Dave Silvera to Jimmy Allen to Edsel Dope, to they Ted always have and Ted Nugent, oh, of course, Ted Nugent. The respect for veterans is and those that serve is out of this world. And and it it, it makes me proud that that that's there. And I I it doesn't surprise me that we get more. And I'm I'm thank you to all the rock people out there, all the publications out there, all the rock media out there. We get more exposure from the rock side of the house than we do from the fire side of the house. And yeah, that, that doesn't surprise that, doesn't surprise well, that's me. That's why it was interesting to me because like we our interview with Dave Silvera, that got picked up by um uh we've been picked up by Blabbermouth. By Blabbermouth a lot. Yeah. We've got picked and thank you guys. Um, thank you, Blabbermouth. Man, yeah, that's a awesome. Bunch, Frank Bello. And I was saying that to you. It's it's interesting to me because if I were to say what would make news that we've spoken about to me, the Sarah Adams show. And I would have thought all these military websites would want to pick up on something like that because for one, it would get clicks, but also that's like the biggest news story. I think the show has ever broken. I I, I think a lot of it, and this is why I've stepped away from the mainstream is they see how the mainstream media works. It's breaking news. It's who's going to get it first. 
but then the other ones die. It's just like with our story. I wanted to do everyone. I actually chose Anderson Cooper to be our first one to come out to say, hey, we're going to say about 13 hours with Anderson Cooper. I was voted down. We had to go through Brett Bear, which was so tremendous. But once one has it, the other one said, well, screw you guys. You chose them over us. We're not going to. So if we don't break it and the media and the, the gun community looks to Fox News to see how they emulate things, they do. And they or they look to CNN. So I think once it's broken and we broke it, which is our show. I mean, sorry, guys, it's our show. I know where I worked through. I was there. I think the rest of them are like, you know what? Screw it. It's not, we're not going to do it because we weren't able to break it. We're not going to get the exposure. And also, I think there's a lot of insecurity in the gun community. I don't think there is a lot of insecurity. If there is, these guys get after it in the rock community. In fact, they get after it by their call each other out. <laughs> Literally, we won't get into it, but or there's fisticuffs at shows. But yeah. th that's the old school <laughs> way of getting of, of, of getting it out. And, and so I, I admire the, the rock and roll community and the gun community. You can take a lot, we can take a a lot of uh, points from them there's a lot more security uh within and within people within themselves a lot more confidence within themselves in the rock and roll community from what i've seen now i could be completely wrong but from what i've seen than within our own community there's a, the alpha male when i say alpha male is a contradiction in terms guys i mean that i really do feel there's a lot of insecurity that goes on in the two community and it's it's a comp it turns into competition instead of trying to help each other and you don't see that in a rock community at least when they tr come over and they cross over into the, the military side of the gun community. And thank you to the rock community for that. That, that you set the example. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, to me, it's a win-win because for us, when these sites post about something that we discussed, oh, yeah. new people are going to see the show. People are going to go on Google just on their homepage. If they listen to static X and they'll go, Oh, there's some news about static X. Let me check this out. And then from there they discover the podcast. So and then we give them content. They're just they're transcribing our show and we're giving them content. So it's a win win. I don't really get why you wouldn't cover that type of stuff if you're a military outlet. I mean, an example, we always do it on the show ourselves. I was actually I was talking hockey with your friend, um, uh, Chris Dykos. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. Because I know he's a big hockey guy. He was yeah, talking yeah. about the Seattle Kraken and it's, he's a super nice guy, man. He was like, He's like, I hate the Islanders. Don't come out here anytime. For a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the reason I mention him is I said to him, because it's true, his show is one of the top 10 shows we've ever done now at this point in terms Chris of Chris is an awesome guy. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Tremendous so, ranger. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I bring this up, though, is if you remember, the title of that show was uh, CIA Contractors Turned Hired Hitmen. Now, where did we get that article? We got it, if I remember correctly, from Connecting Vets. And I read yeah. the article on the show, and I'm going to say, Hey, you can check out the full article at Connecting Vets. And then that way it gives us content. People are going to check out our show and we'll give the credit to them. And I, that's always how I've done things. It's not so much a competition because uh, it's You're like right. if you listen to us, it doesn't mean you can't also listen to Jocko or yeah. Joe Rogan and, In and, fact, and read Connecting Vets. It's all the same genre really so. i i agree man uh, and i so i think we set ourselves apart from others is that we we are willing to to do that we are recommending hey go listen to those guys go listen to that guy go listen to whoever you want go listen to the left go listen to the far i get it get crazy out there listen to everything um because it it does it does help it helps everyone out in my opinion whether you like us or you don't it's still exposure and, and exposure in the media business good or bad um does help uh, but when it becomes a competition, and it, there is, and because I've been in the gun community for so long, because I've been in the veteran community, I've seen it grow. I got in at the ground, you know, at the beginning stages with the lone survivors and 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 the American snipers and the 13, I mean, where it grew, 
where there was just, you know, a, there was a few known and that was it. Now it's like everybody's, it's, it's almost like the, I call it the Paris Hilton of the gun community. Everybody's yeah. a rock star now because of your social media following, which is bullshit. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a strict competition there now too, where you can't go with somebody else because you might lose some followers to them. Or you might be faking the fuck. What I mean by that, you may not be saying what you really are. You may be saying you're completely something different, guys, because you're not really... You don't have the background that you say you do. And if you do start to cross over, you do start to have other people that actually do have the background that you say they do. They may call you out. They might, people might start to find out you're, you are, uh, you are not what you say you are. You're faking it. I call it faking the funk. And I think there's a lot of that in the gun community as well, because we get on YouTube, we shoot a lot of guns. And now this guy, he's an operator and that's not the case. In fact, that's generally almost nine times out of 10, not the case at all. So if we start oh, to I gotta, I gotta partner with each other, yeah, tell, no, tell me, tell me, tell me, because we start to partner with that, you start to partner with somebody that is now. Their followers are going to start background checking you. Know, like, wait a second, he said he was a ranger. Hey, let me ask this ranger if you. And it, it happens. That's what happens. People start to find out. No, he really isn't a marine. No, he wasn't a seal. He was an SBU guy. Not that's a bad thing, but they start checking each other, and and that's something in the gun community that goes on goes on and and people that lie about their backgrounds go on quite a bit so there's also a, another thing why we don't share with each other because those that are getting eight million dollars or they're not but having follower after follower follower but aren't really what they say they are people are going to find out if we continue if we share with each other if we start to say hey go listen to tonos go listen to jockos go listen to to um you know, go listen to 100 Deadly Skills and people will find out eventually. All right, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, no, I'm, no. The funny thing is, and this is you. not a case of someone faking their background. This is just a case of, of a bad title, in my opinion. I saw that you were on with Hank Strange, and I don't know if you noticed, it's the title on the YouTube video. They should have titled it differently. What Lola titled it? I didn't see it. It said, Chris Peranto, comma, author and army ranger Hank Strange. So it, it read like Hank Strange was an army ranger, which I know he would never say that he is. I don't but think it just, so. It read very strange. Like it should have said author and army ranger Chris Pronto and Hank Strange. And yeah, that, that was fun. Hank, I, I, some people don't like Hank. I love Hank. Oh, Hank's the love, man. Super oh, nice, humble, and, and his, just down to earth guy. And his wife, Lola, is tremendous. And dude, we, I tell you, we had a hell of a time just trying to get it on. We could, 30 minutes, we were trying to get everything synced up and it wouldn't work. But that interview, guys, I would recommend. That was a fun interview with him and Ghost. We just talked about everything. And Hank is a great guy. And 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 the video was actually really cool that we did. So if you get a chance to listen to Hank's show, especially with me on it, hey, go listen to it. We we just laughed and had a tremendous fun, fun time on the show and talked about guns, but talked about life and talked about other things, which is what, honestly, military shows should be and gun shows should be. should be guns. This should be life. We, it does emulate life in some aspects um, and how we should live our lives. That's what I said. Bullet goes down range. Don't take, you can't take it back. You, you readjust, re-aim and refire. Well, what does that mean? That means if you make a mistake, hey, you can't take that back. Don't complain about it. Fix it and try again. That's essentially what I meant when I said that. What, what's, is that an analogy or is it, what is that? What's yeah, the term for that? Like it. <laughs> so the gun community, we can be such mentors to the rest of the world, to be honest with you, if we would 
find a way to get over ourselves a little bit. Our buddy that passed away was tremendous at calling. Oh yeah. Stuff John Bartolo. Yeah. John Bartolo was awesome at calling that stuff out. I, I miss, yeah. I miss his banter because he really, <laughs> he, he, I bet he says the same the, things the, I, I'm saying, but he said it better. So <laughs> the one thing I was going to say, looking back though, that he, that he did get wrong that I think of from that interview is when he was like, no one knows any songs by Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent is a legend and people <laughs> do. And the problem sorry. is, I think for those who aren't into rock music, right. Who aren't, really into rock music they don't know that if someone is into 70s rock yeah. it was Aerosmith and acdc and like and ted nugent yes. is in that same category the thing is ted nugent has become more known for his political positions yeah. than his music but make no mistake in terms mm. of his music as he said on our show remember like the guy has played with eddie van halen oh, Jimi yeah. hendrix like you don't do that if you're not amazing so, he has some of the greatest rock greatest guitar solos ever that will never be replicated i oh yeah. I, I watch i don't know if you have internet tv i do i don't watch cable i have vivo and there's a 70s they, they actually play it's unlike mtv they actually play music videos and they have 70s 80s 90s and there's a whole hour devoted to ted nugent of, of music videos and him just jamming on stage and the videos that he did with the, and then also Damn Yankees, which I mean, that's oh, yeah. like another iconic group with the, yeah. the, uh, the lead singer from Styx and him in there. And and uh, you just watch it. And I remember there was one, he was on stage again in his little loincloth, a six minute fucking, you know, six minute guitar solo that was unbelievable. Who does that anymore? Who can do that anymore? This Ted Nugent. So polit politics aside, Ted Nugent is a fucking rock legend, dude. So yeah, I, oh, yeah. I laughed. I laughed at that too. And Ted Nugent is a great guy. He's a friend. He actually is a friend, and he's crazy. He's a little yeah. off his rocker now, literally and figuratively. But he's still an awesome guy, and the dude can still fucking jam. Oh, absolutely. I like, like I said, I think people just know him. Like this modern era knows him more as the guy who says crazy political stuff. But <laughs> like, yeah, don't don't get it wrong, man. Like he is a legend, yes. um, without a doubt, in terms yep. of music. Yep. Uh, the last thing I was going to say, though, in terms of the competition thing is coming from like the old school radio background. It's a little bit different in terms of that, because and I remember like working on Andrew Wilkow's show. We don't want to talk about Rush Limbaugh because it's on at the same time. We don't want to remind people like, hey, this is a, another guy who you could be listening to. Like we want to own this time slot. This is our time slot. But in the world of podcasts, there is none of that. And so many yeah. of our listeners are truck drivers. Right. And they're driving for hours on end. And they could turn us on and then they could listen to Jason Piccolo and then they could listen to Rogan. Yeah. So that was the last thing I was going to say about that. And then, and then the other funny thing about the amount of exposure we got was just that uh, it was almost like a TikTok video, but they're doing those YouTube shorts of you saying you're a Mexican white supremacist. And, <laughs> and suddenly that blew up on our YouTube with the shorts. So hopefully that gets us some new listeners as hey, well. Man, it's, yeah. it, whatever The little catchphrases that are viral, but yeah, Viva, Viva La Tanto, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> I, well, that's, I, that's, I actually said that, I told you, I remember I said that at a, at a speaking event long time ago when I first started speaking, but I, 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 I my dad's white. My dad's from West Texas. He did. He grew up hard as hell too. Poor as dirt farmer. You know, my mom's Mexican. I probably, I look more white. And actually when I speak a lot of times, I'll speak more with a drawl than I will with a Mexican accent. I'll say this but, as someone who's grown up like around Mexican people, and there's no disrespect. You can say the same about me being Jewish Italian. You have the Mexican nose. Well, that's what I thought. I, I think yeah. I do, but there's, but so, but I did, somebody came up. What do you think about racism and you know being white? It was at a, it was at a, and it was a more political event. And I looked at, she didn't know, she had no idea. She's like, 
I was like, well, you know, my mother's last name is Garcia. My middle name is Joaquin, after, named after my grandfather. So I guess I'm a white, ra- I'm a Mexican racist. <laughs> and the whole whole crowd blew up laughing. But that's where I got it from. It's like, what is, who make, who's the actual racist here, Miss Pearl Clutching White Elitist? Is it you? Because I don't look like Cheech Mare from Cheech and Chong. Am I supposed <laughs> to look like a certain style of Mexican? Or because I maybe have a little bit more white features or even some, I think my grandma had a little Navajo in her too. But have, because I'm not, I don't look like that stereotypical what you see on TV Mexican that I'm, and that's kind of what I, I should have said it that way. I just hadn't got the, I hadn't wet, got wet enough yet in the speaking world to know what to say to, to slow things down. But it was also just uh, improvisational. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but th- that's, that's where I was like, man, it, there really is reverse discrimination out here, especially on the white side of the house guys. And, and we I mean, don't I wouldn't call, call it reverse here. discrimination. Any discrimination is discrimination. I don't think it needs to have a separate name. Cheer, you it. know what? Cheers. I like it. I, I like that, bro. Cheers on that. I, I don't, you. I mean, with you. I, I just, that's, I don't, I, I don't, I think it's kind oh. of a outdated term at this point. I mean, I, I think there's, well, discrimination am, but, but you got to remember i am old so i'm using <laughs> an outdated term i use that a lot i'm like an ms dos computer i got to update so it helps me out, helps me out. um we got to get to our guests but I'll, I'll go through these really quick because i was talking about the podcast and how like new listeners were coming on board i read something this guy like this guy got the podcast from blabbermouth right and i saw that he wrote uh jeremy swain this podcast just may well have become my fuel to continue on as a musician as many of my fans may know since 2018 i've not only backed away from music but had a second chance at my music career as well as failed twice this podcast has refueled my optimism and ambition to continue on and not only will i use my failures for for fuel they will become my success thank you edsel dope so i thought that was cool it's cool that new people are checking us out and then we got to get to our guests but i wanted to ask you this real quick this is yeah. set to battle I'll, I'll hurry at, i'll hurry dude i'll hurry yeah battle podcast at gmail.com and this is from my, our friend dave in uh oshawa ontario uh, and and people loved the movies episode. So Ian, I've been busy on a trip, so I only finished this episode just now. Great episode. I really like the reality checks from Chris and other vets. Talk of funny military movies reminded me of this one, and I'd love to know if you or Chris have seen it and what you think. Delta Farce with Larry <laughs> the Cable Guy and Danny Trejo yeah, as a mindless, yeah, ridiculous yeah. comedy. I love it. It it it's it's in the same genre as as in the army now a uh, poly okay. but poly shores was better i i sorry larry the cable guy you're good and all but i Polly is a better actor so <laughs> and you got andy dick and in the army now too which was awesome but delta farce is hilarious it's just another off the cuff funny one that you watch and you watch it and you see stuff in there like god that is hilarious i wish i would do that for real but you know you couldn't so delta farce guys if you want to laugh and if you like stuff like the in the army I'll polish sure, then you got to watch Delta Farce. And if you like Larry the Cable Guy and all that sort of redneck humor, you know, the Jack Fosworthy, the Bill Engvall type humor, it's funny. It's funny. Just don't take it too seriously. For all you guys taking that shit way too seriously, you need to go seek therapy because you got yeah, to have a chance to laugh. How can you take a, a military movie, the Larry the Cable Guy? Yeah, seriously. exactly. But it's it's funny. And they had some the skin. He used to be in movies, a skinny guy. Real skinny kid. He was in a lot of like Van Wilder type movies. He's in it. I can't remember his name. You don't see him too much anymore, but it's it's a great movie. It's great and it's hilarious and it's something to sit back and just laugh at and make and honestly poke fun at ourselves. That's the self-deprecating humor is one of the greatest skills I learned at Ranger Battalion. And that's be the ability to poke fun at yourselves. Every ranger can do the shit. Well, look at Article 15, look at Matt Best. They made millions off doing that. So 
it is some skill that that rangers all have and we love it dude and that's the ability to look at and make fun of yourself not on social media actually in front of somebody poke fun at yourself and that's what delta force did it poked fun at special operations a little bit but it was it was hilarious so did uh, you know so I, I loved it i thought it was hilarious great yeah movie. So uh, check it out. As always, you can send us your emails to battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. Before we get to Ed Ford and Alan Chiasin, uh, Fort Scott Munitions, they sponsor every show. They are a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it will be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. You just yep. go to the dealer locator at fsm.com, um, but they're also selling it there, and that's where you'll get a discount with us. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. I look forward to being back out there soon. And yeah, what, what do you want to Actually, mention? we've got, just right quick, uh, for when Christmas comes up, we're starting the tins again while Battleline Tactical tins coming out for Fort Scott Munitions. They're the little tins, kind of like what Ian has right yeah, there. Yeah, right here. But they'll have Battleline Tactical on them. And of course, I'll sign them and uh, sign up for email alerts on Fort Scott Munitions website or sign up for email alerts on christonoprano.com. And when they pop up, you'll be the first ones to be notified and grab those things. They're really cool, dude. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah, those are awesome. So check them out. And once again, fsm.com, promo code BATTLELINE. And uh, yeah, they've been supporting us from the very beginning. Uh, Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper binocular vision, uh, night vision system by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Uh, and uh, hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to help them become master of darkness, their trademark. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper Monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. I know in December, you have a course coming up with Phil Otto, and we'll have Phil Otto back on from Photonist Defense. Um, But this is something that you train with personally. Gosh, and and gosh, it's the best night vision out there by far. And and for those that come to the course, we'll see it. You'll be able to use it. It's, It's unbelievable how clear it is the clarity and the auto gating which means the auto focusing i it's but how fast that is as well so i the guys i'm since we're getting to our guests i got to cut it short but if you use night vision or you're in a department that uses night vision or your military that uses night vision give your people the best chances to come home safely and to come home to their families and if you're not using photonist defense uh night vision then you're 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 not giving your people the best chances to come home safely and if you're a hunter hands down best best there is out there tremendous uh, tremendous and those who come to the mvg course will see that 
Absolutely. Check it out, guys. PhotonisDefense.com. P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S. Defense.com. P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S. Defense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Joining us for the first time on Battleline Podcast is Ed Ford and Alan Chason and, and Doc Allen. I, I, I uh, apologize. I definitely mispronounced your name during the intro, as you'll hear. So Alan Chason, they're the authors of Postcards Through Hell, the firsthand account of the Pony Express U.S. Mail Service in Afghanistan. Now, just to get into both your backgrounds here, Ed served prior as a, a, a recon marine, combat deployments as a marine and contractor to Somalia, Iraq. Afghanistan, the Gulf War, and then Alan, um, Doc Jason, served prior as a hospital corpsman in the Navy for high-risk medical support during deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, certified paramedic in the state of Texas. But you guys were both contractors when this took place, the Pony Express. Um, The thing I was going to ask you before we get into anything, because I just wanted to clarify this, I was going to say by the time people hear this, the book is going to be available. But when I go to postcardsthroughhell.com, and I click on the Amazon link or the Barnes and Noble link. I don't see it up yet. So is that still going to be the case, or is the has the uh, release date been pushed back or something? Still going to no, the uh, the, the the publication date is the twenty first, but uh, Amazon doesn't carry the link until the distribution date, which is like a day or two later. So okay. we have a we have a buy it now feature on the website, but uh, until the book's available on Amazon, it won't be available on our website either. Got you, because I went to the website and I just wanted to make sure. So when people hear this on Monday, they'll be able to get it. Um, But yeah, the the thing about the book itself is I think when people hear, oh, delivering mail in Afghanistan and the Pony Express, they're like, oh, this is a cool deployment. And and it's the most dangerous thing that you guys with all your experience have ever done. I mean, 10 people died doing what you were doing Mm -hmm. alongside both of you guys. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So uh, I, it, was, uh, it, it did it did have its risks involved. I mean, especially during the fighting season. Uh, yeah, between uh, April and November, you know, it, it was on. It was fighting season, and uh, yeah, uh, I think that's when uh, a lot of guys would want to join the program. And then after their first fighting season, they were out. Uh, they were saying that this ain't for me, man. <laughs> let's oh. let's let's get into the it's from the beginning because I, I you know I do you, you you with mail and the mail service and things you you kind of take it for granted when you're over there. You really don't. It's like I'm just getting my mail. You don't really realize yeah. how it's getting to you until unless it's on the back of a chopper and it gets to you from the back of a chopper. But you never think about well, how did it get to that chopper to get to Kandahar to get to Lashkar to get up to to you know Chapman you never think about that or when I was in Kabul so start from the beginning just how did you get into it I mean your military service is over we we've got that and God bless you thank you for your services guys especially you especially you Marine I gotta thank the Marine because I don't want him to get upset I, I gotta <laughs> give him special thanks because just always got to give that Marine special thanks oh thank you thank you but no thank you for I, your, I, I but, can do the podcast now I know, but how did how did you guys find out about it and who actually is it through KBR what contracting company is that and that's for my own just just a lot of people won't know I would like to know who's it through but how do you get into it first of all and, and let's just start from there I guess uh, what well, SOC, uh, SOC was the uh, SOC was the- uh, No re- shit. SOC uh, was the one. No, okay. Yeah, they yeah. picked up the yeah. contract. Yeah. Uh, they picked up the contract uh, for the mail. Well, they actually in Afghanistan, they picked up the first mobile contract for uh, 
our other friends. Uh, oh no, no, I, I, I that's who I, I worked with them. I know Sock yeah, SMG, yeah, yeah. Sock USA. Yeah, yeah. They were in Afghanistan. We yep. would uh, do secure drops. We do secure nice. loads, whether it be fuel, uh, a reefer truck full of uh, uh, food, uh, vehicles. We would do those secure drops for them on some of their uh, on some of their fobs on some of their sites. They weren't even oh, really sure. fobs. I mean, yeah, yeah. Some of them were just like. Uh, Hesco walls perimeter. Uh, yep. yep. And uh, I remember we went, uh, we'd end up in places like uh, Skin. I, I've been to Skin, yeah. I've been to Skin and Shindan and all those cool yeah. ass, ass yeah. Sh- all those yeah. shish places. So, oh, god, so, yeah. So, so it was, and did you guys know each other before you went in, or did you meet each other at the well, when you we guys met first in uh, Baghdad in 2005? Okay, what were you doing there? I was I was with Crucible then. I was a trainer okay. for the PSD program, sure. uh, uh, working for DynCore. We were yep. subcontracted by DynCore, so we were there. We were the trainers for the PSD, uh, the Shark teams. I did. Uh, I, I we go out and evaluate the teams, and uh, we train them, and then evaluate them. Uh, and Al showed up uh, either right before or right after Team Three got hit. Was yeah, that- it was after November two thousand five. Uh, November two thousand five, because Team Three got hit in uh, two thousand December two thousand five. Was that on Biop? Team Three got hit on oh, Biop. No, they were right. No, we at the Baghdad Hotel. Oh, you're at the hotel. Then they got hit. I okay. Got yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the hotel. I was on another run, evaluating that run, and uh, as soon as they got back, uh, they told me, "Hey, we had we had, we had an incident, and uh, one of your guys, he he was out there as an evaluator, Kyle. Uh, he got killed uh, by an EFP." Okay. And uh, just took down the uh, rear gun truck, and then they had to fight their way back to the rear gun truck, extract the, uh, and then control the situation, and then uh, extract the wounded. And then the army rolled up as a QRF yep. to uh, extract the casualties in the uh, KIAs. And then after that, uh, I know Kyle was in the military system, the DOD system for uh, going home. Uh, so I went to the mortuary affairs at Bath to, uh, you know, ID, you know, I ID the uh, body, which was pretty tough to do. I mean, yeah, he had no head at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, make sure all his paperwork was uh, handled so that they could get him home. And that uh, was, but that was before you guys were starting. You guys hadn't started yet in the uh, in the postal postal service. Oh no, no, this was like 2005. This was like, okay. yeah. She's like when we met in uh, 2008, we were both working for SOC. Um, Ed was in Afghanistan and I was still in Iraq um, and they were doing uh, uh, secure drops for for other companies. We hadn't picked up the mail contract yet. Okay. But one of their teams got hit um, on a run to Oregon E, I believe it was. Yeah, Oregon E, skin. Yeah. And um, they didn't have a medic on board. So uh, my name got dropped in the hat. And, I got voluntold to go up, so I went. And and that's when you're, and that was sock. That was before the beginning. All right, so you got all that done. And actually, that, that skin, I remember that. That was, was that a State Department team that was doing that run that got hit there? I just remember there was a team that got that, that I was a GRS at the time when that thing happened. And I do remember there was just pieces of the the bomber. Actually, he, he, he had, 
he had decorated himself so well that his face actually, you know, and that's what they want. The face came off, but it was still intact. So it was just the skin on the mask laying on the ground there. But I don't remember. It was on J Bad Road as they were heading out. I don't remember if it was that move. Oh, yeah, that's but, a different incident. But but yeah, they they um they, those guys, it was just super crazy out there at that point in time. All right, so it's 2008. So you guys are doing this. How do you get picked up and to go into what you wrote the book about the mail I, and do I, is it respectful to call it the postal mail delivery service or is there some cool term that you guys use that you wanted us to call it on the show? Well, we call it the Pony Express. Yeah. Pony Express, of course. Okay, Pony yeah. Express. So we'll just call it from there on out. The Pony Express. How did you guys get picked up, or what happened? Do you, I know there's just not flyers. Well, sometimes in country there are. <laughs> you'll, find, you'll find, hey, come come join us here. But how did you find out about it, or was it just an inner office with socks? Sometimes they'll come through an email, say, guys that qualify, you'll get this email. Hey, do you want to join this new fangled thing we got going on? Here's your pay. Uh, but or did you guys just just fall into it? Yeah, we we just kind of fell into it because we were already a mobile team. We were already on the ground. So when they picked up the uh, mail contract, we just started run, doing the runs for the mail. And then we realized, hey, we need four teams. So we'd keep three teams on the ground at one time. One team was going home on vacation. So it was a three-on-one-off rotation also. Wow. We were able to keep four teams uh, up and running, three on the ground at any given time. Hey, Doc, this, since, since the Marines hogging up the spotlight here, I'll get, ask this question to you, buddy. Um, I, keep, I love giving you shit. I love you, man. <laughs> hey, hey, Doc, on this this question, and again, you know, Ed, go ahead and chime in if you, if you want to here. What does a day consist of with doing the Pony Express? How, what's the typical day sitting up? So you guys are in it. You guys are just starting it. Let's just start from day one. It's your first day. What do you do? Or do you just, again, are you just learning on the fly and just trying to figure it out? Well, for me, it was it was a learning curve because I had done so much work uh, in PSD. I had never done any convoy work, so it was OJT. But with the three teams that Ed was referring to, we had one team that was scheduled on the long hauls. Okay. We'd have another team that would do uh, uh, the what they call the ring road or the ring route uh, in Kabul, which is a short run. And then they would also function as a QRF. So if something happened, uh, and then the, the third team would either be down uh, doing some training or whatever not. So let's say a team's going out to Gosney. Um, they make their runs. If something, if, you know, something goes on, they, they hit their ping. Uh, uh, the QRF is alerted. We go in uh, and respond and uh, take care of business. We have to cross deck. We have to, to haul or, or tow vehicles or do whatever uh, to make sure that everybody uh, comes back all right. Um, but for the most part, it was the, it was the long haul that was the dangerous one. So what was your TONE? What was this? What was your setup? What were your vehicle setups? What kind of weapons were you carrying? Were you, did you have technicals? Did you have Afghani support? Any, any security forces? Did you have any military on oh, standby? No. Any? So yeah, what, what, I, I'm curious. What was your setup? Because I'm sure we probably ran across each other and probably tried to run each off, run each other off the road a few times. I didn't even know it. So <laughs> what? What did? I'm we curious. were we were running a Ford F550. Uh, yes, cool. yeah. uh, armored vehicles. Uh, they were uh, from uh, straight USA. Made them uh, level seven armor. Had awesome. two gun turrets on it, um, and we ran uh, top gunners that were carrying uh, PKMs, and then we carried uh, uh, M4s and uh, AK47s for for the local nationals. And whatnot. The 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 Achilles heel was the the flat bottom chassis on the truck. So if we ever got hit directly underneath, then then it would uh, either split the truck in half or flip it upside down. So it, it was no, pretty devastating. No, no ballistic armor, no ballistic blankets, nothing underneath the car, or, or just blankets just to protect you guys. 
they they had Kevlar uh, uh, Kevlar type of a deal, but uh, I mean that that's that's minuscule protection when you talk oh, about sure. uh, IEDs and whatnot. So uh, it's level seven armor. It'll defeat uh, it'll defeat yeah. uh, uh, you know right. uh, multiple small arms, small arms, arms, whatever. Maybe an RPG five, uh, but certainly an RPG seven would would uh, we'll punch it. Damage. Yeah, we've seen that happen before. I, I mean, I just responded to some Brits that happened. We never had, we never had any, uh, any heavy, heavy weapons. Uh, we ran parallel to another group called the Four Horsemen that, that carried discas and, and uh, uh, they, they carried RPGs and whatever. Now we tried to come up with some kind of a, a, a mutual agreement that if uh, anything happened to them, we would provide some medical care, and if anything happened to us, they'd give us the heavy weapons. So, you know, but that never really happened. So, Ed, I know you're itching, buddy. What what did what you what you see, man? When again, yeah, like I said, like Al said, the Achilles heel on those F550s was the flat bottom. Anytime, and once they figured it out, uh, once sure. the Taliban figured it out, I mean, then it was like catastrophic takedown. I mean, that's that was it. Up until then, you know, small arms would bounce off of it. Uh, Buddha had an RPG. It wasn't angled right, or maybe it wasn't armed sure. right. Armed right. Yeah. Skip off the side of his uh, vehicle. He's like. I just saw it, man. I saw my own death. <laughs> I was like, oh, dude. Uh, but yeah, it was that flat bottom that, uh, that, I mean, it was once they got on it, once they got the ID underneath, it was a 100% vehicle to take down casualties. Wow. Uh, Chris, you're, you're familiar with Ring you know, Road. Uh, right? uh, Say again. You know, I lost you. I you're you're familiar with Ring Road. Oh, yeah. You're talking uh, Kabul? Ring Road and Kabul? You know, in Ring Road in, in Afghanistan, period, from Kabul to Kandahar to Herat and, yes. and, and back around it. So anywhere out in the open country, you're running coverts about every thousand feet, you're going over a covert. Either that or there's a road that's been destroyed or a bridge that, that's uh, out of commission that you have to take a, a, a detour around a detour to route. get back up mm -hmm. on Ring Road. So there's, there's so many places and so many opportunities for them to plant IEDs. Uh, you know, they go unchecked. If we're lucky enough, we try to go behind uh, the Army's engineers. You know, they're running their their sappers and their R2s yeah. and their buffaloes and their hunter killers. Uh, if we can get behind them, they can clear the route for us. But even, even then, like uh, Ed's first hit was uh, near Calf when they were detoured by the U.S. Army to go off-road and they hit a mine strike. Yeah. So the Army's already clearing an ID on the yeah. road and then these guys get hit on the off-road. And it was just like, wow, the, the advantage of that was that they had medevac capability right there on the spot. Well, because you're, yeah, your calf. Well, that calf was always dangerous. In fact, we get, we started flying and very, we're very blessed to have hips at our disposal. So we just said, screw it. We're not, we're not driving anymore. If we need to go anywhere, let's jump a hip and fly somewhere and just, just detour it all. Um, well, getting into that, you, you're doing this for a while. How soon was it before you really took, and if you can't talk about it, we get it. Um, but if you can, you know, it's, it's, it's a good story, especially since you guys are here about perseverance and overcoming, but your first major, you talked about just now with Ed and, and Doc, the first hit, what happened, what went through your head and did you feel any different than when you were running PSD or was it the same sort of thought process or because you're, you're not doing PSD, you're doing, you know, you're doing the Pony Express. Did your mindset change at all? I seriously doubt it, but I just like to know. I mean, just because it is different. It's a different job. You're, it's a different package now, literally, because you're, you're carrying inanimate objects instead of an actual person. But your life's still in danger. But I, I get, but it does. I, at least in my head, my mind always kind of changed a little bit. It did. 
Um, but what was your feelings when that first hit came and was it at that calf area or were you up going up towards Chapman or were you going around yeah, towards yeah. Harad or what were you, what was, what was going on? I mean, I, I ended up losing two vehicles on two separate occasions. The first one was the one we just talked about back in November, 2009. Mine strike got diverted. We were out and about, and I was out of the vehicle at the time, uh, looking for alternate route, trying to get the convoy through. And then all of a sudden my lead driver, he backs up and right rear tire hits the, uh, hits the mine and you, you hear the boom and then you look over and then I just saw the bumper fly up and then I was like, oh shit. And then I jump into the ditch because I thought it was a complex attack, sure. but uh, it, it wasn't. So then we just started running in towards the uh, down vehicle and then that's when uh, I think it was Buddha that yelled out, hey. I think we're in a minefield and that's when you start, everybody stops and you start looking for all the little footsteps you can step into. But uh, yeah, it was like, uh, uh, you, you, you fall back on your training. You're never going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. You're always going to fall back on your training. And then it all just comes down to the, I mean, even, you know, giving a good op order, uh, running through your rehearsals, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything complex, but just getting everybody to work together as that team, fixing that flat tire, setting up that toe, uh, cross-decking in casualties, which always seems to take a lot longer in real life. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it all falls back to, you know, you're always going to default back to your training. Uh, so we ended up uh, going, uh, getting to the vehicle, treating the casualties. And a funny story here is a, uh, see all this white pulpy stuff all right, splattered around the back of the vehicle. I'm like, hey, check them out. I think they're spitting their teeth out. And so uh, Buddha and the uh, uh, other guy, Dave, uh, swept the nose. They're like, no, they're good. They're good. And then uh, I think it was Dave was like, hey, it's the pomegranates. They exploded. <laughs> the overpressure from the uh, mine strike blew up the uh, pomegranates. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> so that, we always said laughed about that one. I was like ex exploding pomegranates. Who knew? <laughs> and then uh, yeah, my no. time was uh, when I lost uh, uh, when when I took my first two KIA uh, on the way to uh, it was on the way to Organi from Sharona to Organi, and it's uh, on Route Jeep. Yeah, Route Jeep. Route Jeep. Yeah. And uh, that's when I lost my lead gun truck again. And uh, it was a like double stacked uh, Italian anti-tank uh, anti mines. They uh, went ahead and they hit them with it. Uh, they, they had them connected to wires. They touched the battery and boom. Wow. Uh, once again, you know, the training kicks in. You know, you, you make your call. Hey, let everybody know what's going on. Then uh, you're getting up there. You're treating the casualties. Uh, yeah, but, but it's very humbling. The first time you see one of you guys in the field that you just put there, uh, it's very humbling. I mean, to sit down there and uh, see him dead. Uh, as I remember uh, looking at uh, going running up to that lead vehicle and Fawad, I mean, it blew him out of the vehicle. And, and he was laying on his side. And all I could see was, I was like, God, let this be a sleeping bag. Let this be a sleeping bag. And I reached down grab him by the shoulder and roll him over. And uh, now he was dead and his legs were amputated at the knees and, but uh, there was no blood. So that's how quick he died. Just, just uh, but uh, 
Doc Buddha. I mean, you know, once again, I mean, he, he was an experienced uh, paramedic, street paramedic. He dealt with lots of death before. I looked up, rolled him over. And I must have given him that stupid look like, gee, Doc, can you fix him? And he's like, fuck him. He's gone. Let's go. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Let's go. Boom. You know, you kick it. You kick into that mindset. Work to save the living. Yeah. So we got to the back of the truck and then uh, my ATL, my buddy Scott Brown, comes out of the uh, right front seat with an AK-47. The blast blew off all of his gear because he had the uh, chest plates on, gotcha. not full wrap around. Yep. So he had a uh, AK-47 and he's running up a hill and I'm chasing after him. So he gets up the hill. And he, I. He's like, dude, I'm so fucked up. I'm on adrenaline right now. I was like, dude, whatever you do, do not leave here. All right, we've got to be able to get you. And he's like, I'm on adrenaline. I'm so fucked up right now. I was like, all right, we, we're going to get out of here. We go back down and I helped them pull Pero, the driver, the Serb driver out of the vehicle. And uh, yeah, you could tell just by looking at him, he was gone. Uh, he, would, he, you know, he was coughing up coke, sure. lots of blood. And I was like, God damn, sorry, bro. I'll catch you on the other side, I guess. Uh, but he lasted like 15 minutes, I think. And, but, that's uh, and uh, you know, Buddha, once again, he's working them to the very end, just trying to save them. Uh, well, that's but, the beauty of beauty of medics. That's why medics, <laughs> right? That's why we, yeah. that's why we, that's why we love them, man. Yeah. And, and especially, especially if they've got that sort of training, because they can, they can compartmentalize what's yeah, in front and of their face. And, and trying to face. beat the odds to save Pero and, uh, you know, we got everything consolidated, uh, got the casualties all picked up and uh, put into vehicles. And we got Scott. Uh, turns out after we got Pero into the vehicle, we uh, I was uh, I was getting the uh, convoy ready to move again because we we're going to get out of there. And uh, John carried uh, Buddha carried uh, Scott down off the hill. So then he's like, dude, I'm smoked. I can't carry him anymore. So I just grabbed him, threw him up in a fireman's carry, and I carried him to the truck. And kind of funny, kind of not. But he's like, dude, be careful when you put him down on the bumper. You know, Scott's about my size. So I'm just trying, and then all of a sudden, everything just shit the wrong way. I was like, boom. And he's like, ah, screaming. I was like, sorry, bro. And I'm like, God damn it. You know, people, at this time, you got to realize Scott had like, a broken back and two fractures in his pelvis when he ran up that hill. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's one of the toughest dudes I've ever met. Well, I feel the-, for the next three and a half hours until we got out of that valley and he just manned a PKM. I and mean, just the adrenaline. The whole time. Well, and, and, you know, you dropping him probably didn't help with this. Sp- oh, I know. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think people get that. That, and I'm glad you guys. It's laugh because because you gotta laugh. I I I, did, I laughed. I laughed all the time to get through it. You, you have to the silliness, and you think back at it, and it, it's 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 almost ludicrous because it's so it's like really this this is tr- such tra- There's so much tragedy going on right now, but there's actually some comic relief in here. And yeah, only only those that that really can. It really, and it compartmentalizes it again. I can say that can can laugh, and that's how you get through it. If you yeah. if you can't laugh, then you go in the black. You you, you panic. You go out. That you 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 over. They let the adrenaline take you over, and there's no release, and then you're not worth the shit to anybody. So yeah. it's never you know, disrespect. You know that, that dopamine dump is only about the half life is is maybe minutes when you talk about adrenaline, and, and when that stuff wears off, you're you're 
I mean, what was keeping him up? You know, the, the survival of his team, uh, uh, it takes three hours to get out of the, the valley. The military's not going to come in and give you any QRF support whatsoever. And he stands on this PKM for three hours. That's tough. I mean, that's a testimony to, to, you know, just how tough these guys were. And, and, and I think that's what attracted me so much to, to the Pony Express because those guys, they didn't fuck around. You know, when we weren't running missions, uh, we were QRF. When we weren't QRF, we were working out. When we weren't working out, we were training. We, were, we, we ate together. We slept together. We, we uh, lived together. It was just like, it, it's a family, you sure. know? And, and I think that Scott probably knew that just as well as Ed did. And, and you know, you're just keeping your brothers alive. And that's what he did. And, and, and there's really, there's no reward other than, you know, the, the, the pat on the back that you give to yourself or what we do when we tell this story to other people. Well, and, and on, if you're doing it to look for rewards or accolades then you shouldn't be there anyway. Oh, no, that's, and that's, that's, that's true. That's Once again, like I said earlier, that fighting season weeded all of that out. That so first that for, was that, now was that generally, where is it usually was in the spring when the snow yeah, started to melt. Like April, what, <laughs> April to like, End of October. End of October. Yeah, well, because that's yeah. and it was beautiful. That's the weather was so beautiful <laughs> then too. It's like everybody starts to come out. It's like a bear starting to come out of hibernation, and you just yeah. started to see shit pick up. Um, yeah. now, when when you guys first and uh, whoever wants to answer this, and you both can, did you know it was going to be as dangerous as it was when you signed up or what drew you doc you just kind of said that what drew you to it was the brothers the brotherhood you know you're you're going to be with guys that you want to be around but did you know uh or did you even have stories that shit the shit is really dangerous uh or did that what you drew you to it or did you just ignorantly say you know what? i'm going to sign up let's go try it screw it uh, it's, it's something new yeah I, mean, I left the contract um in December of 2009, and then I went back with Dynecor on a task order uh, mission in in uh, Kandahar. Okay. And then when I um, when I got hired, it was by a, another company uh, called Reed. And um, when I got the job, they were telling me, "Oh, it's really dangerous." You know, they had five guys that were killed just a couple of months ago. And uh, Ed was down in uh, at one of the fobs, and we were talking back and forth. And when I finally got up to uh, Kabul. It was my old company. It was Sock. It gotten bought out by uh, okay. uh, Reed International, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's the same job, different T-shirt type thing. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And then I said, wow, these are my old trucks. These are my old buddies. Uh, so I was back home again. It was really cool. So uh, and that's when I reconnected with uh, with uh, Ed again in 2012. So was that a good thing or was that like, holy shit, here's Ed. Fucking A. I got to deal with this. <laughs> well, he was on his way out the door and I was in. Uh, we actually... <laughs> We actually, uh, that contract had, uh, lasted up until December of 2016, but, okay. uh, wow, the new that's company, a, whoa. yeah, that's yeah a, long a long time, time. To have one for a company to hold one contract. Holy shit. Yeah. And, and, uh, they, uh, they had two other subcontracts that were classified. So we, we actually ended up deleting something like eight chapters out of there. We can't mention anybody's name, talk about any missions cause they were, you know, ODA classified missions and stuff like that. So I, kind of feel like some of the guys are getting robbed but we had to we had to have a starting point and we had to have an ending point so sure. it's you know basically from 2009 to 2012. 
Well, well, getting into getting into the book itself, since since we are getting into the book, one of the interesting things I have to say, for one, it's a cool format, how you guys start off with like these interesting quotes that that relate to that time period, quotes from everyone from like George W. Bush at the time to, you know, uh, military leaders and that and that kind of thing. But the interesting thing is how you have the the actual dates of what happened on this date, April 30th. This is yeah. where we were. This is what was going on. So I was wondering, did you guys or either of you keep a journal? Like, how did you know specific dates that well? Or is it just like news archives? A lot of these, uh, you know, like with uh, serious incident reports, you have to send those up. Like if you lose a vehicle, if guys get hurt and yeah. injuries or deaths or loss of vehicle or equipment, you're going to fill out an incident report. Well, you guys were able to keep it because we weren't able to, that was classified shit that we didn't, we weren't able no, to no, keep it. I kept any all mine. I mean, I kept all, I, you're I kept not all. Gonna, do we need to delete that, Ed? I don't want fucking DOD coming towards you and coming. I, <laughs> I, 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 I kept mine and, That's awesome. and I, I kept mine. So we were able to build off of that. Gosh, and I wish I would have kept mine. That's fucking amazing. And Al's a writer already. He was already a published writer for, uh, uh, for tactical yeah. medicine mag, uh, for oh. I'll let Al explain it. But we just got together. It's like, all right, let's put all this together, and uh, we went with it from there. That's fucking awesome. I I know I cut you off there a bit because I, I just didn't. I wish looking back now, I wish I would have kept a lot of that paperwork, the incident reports, the run reports, the op orders, the the maps, the everything. Yeah, we we couldn't obviously. The agency yeah. really cleared us out, and then. State Department even got really bad for a little while too, but when I was there and even DOD, but dude, having all that, that's just, I, I bet that's just for you and just for your mentality from just, just being here for a little bit. I bet you look back at that and just smile, even the bad stuff. I bet you just like, man, that was- Well, yeah, bad. I mean, it's just, yeah, you were with some of the baddest dudes ever. And yeah. I mean, you know, let's face it, there's only a handful of us that can say that. I, and you guys, yeah. Yeah, guy, that, that's, that road, again, that's how dangerous that ring road is. And I actually- Doc, I want to ask you this. That's a long ass route. How long were those routes? Some of those, I mean, and especially if you're stuck, if you get stuck at a point that you can't cross where, uh, you know, like I said, bridge is blown out or the roads just shit, or even just during the rainy season. I mean, shit, a lot of that shit, you can't, you can't drive in very well. What do you do? Do you hunker down? That's a two point response, really. Uh, It's a long, it's about an 18 hour trip. If you were to, as the crow flies from one end to the other, you know, we, we, we call it the thousand kilometer club uh, where we actually make a run from Kabul all the way to Harat and then Jeez. return. Um, and, and only a few of the guys that were actually able to do it, you know, but you know, the reward was kind of like the bragging rights. Uh, and that was just basically running uh, unimpeded, no incidents, sure. yeah. no stopping points, no breaks, nothing like that. So and you're that just rarely, running hardcore. That rarely happened, did it? I mean, I can't imagine it that did, happened. It very did often. very, it was very rare. And, uh, the, the few exceptions were when we either didn't have loads, you know, and we were doing returns or uh, we were uh, uh, doing other missions like supporting DGI or other contracts uh, that we had to use the gun trucks for. So, uh, but the interesting thing about that is that, you know, when Ed's talking about the fighting season, it's, it's really no time to kind of let your guard down because when the winter time hits, you're still running these missions. Now we're talking about snow, uh, icy conditions, yeah. off-road conditions, and, you know, it's a lot of unfavorable stuff going. We ran at night quite a bit. We ran without headlights a lot of times just to reduce our signature on the road. And, uh, you know, it was just like, 
another element of danger or or you know what it's like to live in Kabul. hell you're yeah. basically breathing your own shit because when <laughs> yeah. everybody what's what's there left to burn but feces and fucking wood uh, and, and uh, you know? i people realize all them open there's no closed sewers it's all open sewers so all they it's have, all it's open just, sewer I, man and it's just it basically it permeates into the air and it comes down to this brown I'd rather live in a dust storm in Iraq than, than the stuff that we had to breathe when we were in uh, in Kabul I, in the uh, wintertime. It was just, yeah. it was nasty as shit. And, and um, it, it's just all, all, all the other things that a lot of people don't think about, these little minuscule stuff that, that when you add them all together, like the fact that we're eating this crappy ass food and we're breathing this shitty ass air. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a godsend when you're, when you're working out in, in, uh, 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 elevations above 5,000 feet and you're, you're aerobically wow. in shape and wow. you're eating yeah. food without preservatives and, and you're working out all the time. That's kind of good. But uh, on the other side is you got to deal with, with the bad taste and all the bad smells and all the, all the bad shit, you know? So. Well, yeah. being cooped, cooped so, up in an armored vehicle isn't, doesn't, especially if you're wearing body armor, it does not, it's not conducive to good spinal, uh, spinal no. health, healthy spine. Yeah, I lost an inch and a half. Uh, over over eight that. years of deployment, I I used to be six two. That's <laughs> like six yeah. foot. And I know you've said that half the year before, Chris, as well. I was going to ask about. So Ed was saying you Ed kept the incident reports and was saying, Alan, you had a background already as a writer. So when did the idea come about that you said this is an amazing book? Let's 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 work together and put this out for people to read because without this book coming out, no one would know about the Pony Express. Well, we tried. We tried to write a series. Uh, a, a buddy of ours that was working on a movie set between Atlanta and, and Louisiana. Um, he met with one of the writers that was interested, and they started writing these these episodes for a pilot um, that kind of never really materialized. Um, but we saw the value in that. Uh, the The sad thing was a lot of times when you talk about true stories, it's it's not a it's based on a true story. It's not an actual true story where you have this latitude uh, to to add some fiction to, to make it a little bit more interesting. Like we talked about uh, running missions with uh, with a female on board and she gets kidnapped and we got to go rescue her and we got to pay ransom. And one of the mail trucks has some CIA money on it that, you know, and I'm just going, this is bullshit. I, don't yeah, that, talk that, about they, that. I mean, there's, there's some, I mean, I, I, I understand, believe me, I understand that completely working with Michael Bay on that and the 13 hours, but you do have to have the bill. And there were times where we like, no, that's too much. Hey guys. Yeah, and we, that's we, what we, we said. We, it, we it, go it a just, little bit, but you can't go way out. Cause now it's just fiction. It's not even close to the truth. Yeah. I, I, when we were talking about writing that, that recovery, that ransom and recovery for uh, the female, uh, I told I told the team leader, I said, I'm not stealing that money. He goes, OK, you can be the doc that's on my the good conscience or the bad conscience on my shoulder that says, don't do it, don't do it. And then he goes ahead and does it anyway so that we could save our our friend. And I, I said, I just I told Ed, I said, fuck this shit, man. Let's just write a book ourselves. And uh, and we started from there. I had a journal. He had his memoirs. Uh, we looked at the, uh, his after action reports, the op orders uh all the incident reports and we created the timeline and and we put it together and it, and it to, to me it looked really good but uh we sent out uh, 12 i think uh 20 beta copies uh for review and we got 12 positive reviews back and we got one really really uh nasty critique from uh, uh scott husing he's the best-selling author of echo and the body yeah and he uh he told us, Hey man, this story needs to be told, but it's gotta be polished up. And, and so he turned us on to 
his editor and uh sure. we it took a couple of years to get all the, the kinks worked out but uh she put us on in the right direction you know i mean uh it, it, I, it became, I think go ahead you know all i was going to say is the accuracy of the timeline as chris was saying is what really makes this stand out because people could come up with arbitrary dates and say it was around this time frame sometime in april this happened the fact that you're able to say April 30th, this is what was going on. May 1st, this was, you know, as Chris knows, I'm an avid reader of like rock biographies and and Nikki Six wrote this book about the heroin diaries, his time on heroin. And he has the same thing. This is what happened on this date, this date. And people question that. They said, does someone on heroin really write an entire journal and keep every single date? And you don't know what's fiction, what's not, not fiction. With the case of your book, as Ed said, you could go, nope, these are the incident reports. We have them right here. And that's why we could recall every detail of what went down. Well, the, the, you know, not just uh, incident reports, uh, but there's a lot of uh, historical perspective uh, and parallel events that occurred while we were there that we were able to kind of uh, a coattail off of, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, Cap. Camp uh, Chapman and uh, it, how it was named after Nathan Chapman and and the death of Mickey Span and and uh, you know the first American that was killed in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, we had the 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 incident with the four horsemen. We had the you know uh, we were delivering mail to, to Ramrod where they had the kill team. You know we were we were at Arena when the Italians were paying the Taliban not to attack them. You know, and so they're not attacking the Italians. Who the fuck are they going to attack? They're going to attack the Pony Express. And I'm just yeah. going, hey, you know, quit paying these guys and then uh, you know start fighting so that we have we have a chance to live. You know, but all that stuff happened. Uh, that's that's documented as well. It's very well documented in terms of the dates that we're actually able to add to the book uh, to give it a little bit more punch. Marine, what you got with that? I mean, can you expound uh, on that at all? Or what uh, you yeah, like uh, Al was saying, a lot did go down. Like with the, uh, you know, we were there when the uh, the suicide bomber when it got into Chapman. Yeah, I, that's our. Those were my GRS buddies, Southside yeah, and, and I mean, Jeremy. I and, yeah, I was yeah. on Chapman for in two thousand nine for for a site security manager at uh, well, they they, they were up, up building the. Uh, oh yeah. The outer, uh, the outbuildings. There's some weird. They could let that guy on there, but I also remember uh, talking to the uh, Blackwater lead, the, the lead Cobra. He was like, I mean, they they were they they weren't and, happy because he's like, the client will never let us search this. The, was, the, there was it was a chief. It was another shitty chief of base that uh, wanted to put stars on and, and I remember yeah. Southside they they fought it they fought it they fought it and they were overruled and yeah but I, so I we were, we were there a month thing. earlier and they wouldn't let us on the fob see now, we had to that's... drop our cargo on the outside and then they came in and got it and brought it on the inside and I'm just going okay here's a bunch of guys got security clearances we're clearly expats you know and they wouldn't let us on they wouldn't let us on oh, chat you're, you're not you're not gonna make it you're not gonna get chief frank buddy you, you're not gonna, <laughs> hey that's and it, it comes down to and i know you guys maybe we'll get into that a little bit because we still got time i think you guys probably saw that because of just that example right there this is where we really got treated like dog shit but then they're gonna let a suicide bomber get all the way on well why exactly. politics politics accommodations attaboys they always trump safety Literally, and, and uh, they do, and you guys saw it. And I'm glad you yeah, talk about that a little bit because I, I didn't know I that. That's... Thing, I think another thing that safety was uh, the, uh, the the business aspect of this. I mean, this was a business. Yeah. I mean, you were you we were on the lower end of the pay spectrum of this business yeah. of war. 
I mean, but uh, it was still a business and, you know, hey, do I spend $6 million in upgrades on vehicles or do I just roll the dice and that I'm not going to spend $6 million in DBA payouts, you know, and that's how they do because they want to be in the black. Yeah. I mean, every time we got took a bad hit and lost a vehicle, I mean, I'd say that that was at least a million dollars gone yeah. between the DBA, the equipment that we had to burn, the DBA for the casualties, at least a million dollars. And we ended up burning, uh, shoot, one, two, three, four vehicles when I was there. Yeah, we burned two on, on my stick. Yeah. So. so, I mean, once again, I mean, uh, they, they look at that bottom line, too. I mean, is this... Yeah. Uh, I mean, are we going to make a profit off of this? And I think that's one of the reasons they Sox sold off the program to uh, IL was in May 2011, Bedford's team got hit, lost five guys on the lead gun truck. And, uh, you know, they probably just said, there's no way we're ever going to get in the black. Let's sell the contract, uh, you know. And that was my pivotal moment there because right then i was also the director of operations now okay i'd gone from being the lead gun truck the navigator to a team leader and i was the director of operations wow, and uh and uh it was my job now to get the bodies recovered get the team recovered and then get the uh get get the bodies back to their families and i remember uh being in the kabul morgue they, they brought in uh, Ness and uh, Ben, the Fijian driver and the uh, Serb ATL. Ness was the Serb ATL and Ben was the uh, Fijian driver. They brought him in and uh, I just remember going through their uh, pockets, searching the pockets and I'm just like, it just hit me right then and there. I mean, I saw myself on the slab next. I was like, all right, this is it, man. You, you're getting out. Hey, so, Doc, Doc, did you feel like there was a time that, and I think we all do, where our number is going to eventually come eventually and it's, it's like, Hey, we stay in or, or we get out. And did you ever have that feeling as well? I, I did a few times myself. I, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't, um, but. What yeah. Was my, your... my first day there. You know, I, I get up to Afghanistan and there's nobody at the airport to pick me up. And so I'm going, okay, here it is trial by fire. That you know, sucks. You I've been make there, your way man. from that the airport. Sucks. To, uh, to the villa without getting kidnapped or killed. Let's see if he pulls this one off, you know? And then uh, then our first run, which was to uh, to Gecko, this was an ODA site. Um, okay. that, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you got you guys, yeah. I, I lived, I know Gecko very, very well. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. here's the interesting thing. When we got to Gecko, I mean, they had been waiting for months for their supply. <laughs> they We had to take ammo, food, fuel, weapons, you know, the whole nine yards. This was a, this was a, uh, this was a no-show manifest. So it was a classified mission that, that I guess is declassified now that it happened in 2009. We don't have to worry about that so much, but um, when we got down there, here's a bunch of SF guys telling us that we're a bunch of badasses and I'm going, I, it wasn't humbling. It was like, wow, man, I, they made us burgers. They, they got us beer. They hooked us up with med supplies and they of said, course. you guys got brass balls. Who else in their right mind would ever do this trip? And I'm just going, wow, this this really felt good to me. And that's what kept me there was stuff like that. And the only people that give you those kinds of pats on the back are your brothers, are the like-minded individuals. You know, nothing, nothing political, nothing pencil-necked, nothing uh, outside of uh, the, the corporate side of it. Because, uh, you know, when Ed was talking about it 
it being the business side of war. I remember when they got rid of all our expat drivers and replaced them with local nationals. These motherfuckers couldn't drive taxi cabs, let alone a taxi that's, vehicle. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And that was, was that Dyncor at the time? Was that Dyncor doing that shit? Because Dyncor no, was I was sock doing that shit. I guess yeah. it's tomato, tomato. It's the same shit. Yeah, pretty much. I, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, really. so you're going to save money by putting a, a local national driver in there. So you don't have to pay him the same amount that you would an expat. But you're going to uh, fucking, you're going to make my guys less safe. Uh, 110%. Uh, I hated that stupid shit. I hated those companies doing that shit. I hate sock. I, I'm, I'm, that's why a lot, I went over, even though it wasn't much better, at least we had a little bit more control while we went over direct and just started working directly for the actual government agency because those third-party companies were turning worse and worse and worse and worse with shit like that and that's yeah i tried to do work on a truck um in the middle of the summertime and and uh, the the program manager tells me i gotta shut the truck off because i'm burning fuel and i'm (laughs) using the air conditioner to keep cool while i'm working on the truck and i was just going jesus christ it's come down to nickel and dime now and so those are the things that kind of really piss a guy off make him want to you know if i didn't have to deal with this shit you know, this would be a pretty damn good job. And it's interesting because there's some things that we wrote in the book that talk about leadership um, were, were guys that didn't have the, those kinds of backgrounds. You know, when SOC started, it was SOC SMG. Those were all ex-SF guys. Yeah. And, and when, when uh, uh, IL took over SOC, uh, it, it was uh, owned by uh, um, Todd Wilcox. And he's an ex Green Beret, so now we weren't operating in a vacuum, you know. And so that was that was a pretty cool thing too, because when you when you talk about leadership uh, on guys that know what it's like to have boots on the ground, you, that that takes all that pressure off, you know. Sure. It makes it makes your job a lot easier knowing that they actually have your back. Right. You know, you're going to get if you write something up and you request something, it's going to legitimately be looked at and considered. Exactly. Exactly. But, Guys, I, I no, I admire because I, I worked at Gecko. I, I love work. That was one of my favorite bases to work at was Gecko. And we did admire that because by that time we had figured out, fuck driving these roads. Let's jump the helicopter or everything was done at night under nods. So when you guys would come in with stuff, yeah, we were like, fuck yeah, I ain't doing that shit anymore. I, I, that's hard shit. That's dangerous. So there was an admiration and we did depend on you guys. I remember we went two weeks once with, with we had no new food. So I'm I'm over there eating with my local security guys, my Canada security force. I'm going to eat with them because at least they have something new. I'll eat the meat. I won't eat the eggs with my hands because that still grossed the shit out, grossed me out like a. <laughs> but but I, I I we did admire that because we done it and now it's like you know what to hell with this. We don't have to do it anymore. I I'm not going to try to be hard. You guys still have to do it and you're still doing it. Fuck yeah. That's fucking awesome. So I, I, I'm glad to hear that in 2009, because I left and left Afghanistan and start going to other places in 08, 09, that they still held you, held you guys in high regard because we did. I, I know I did. And we depended on you. A lot and, of a lot of people asked, you know, so why didn't they just bring it in by air? And I was in some of these places like at Skin and, and Chinnad <laughs> and, and, and you can't get air into places because now they're susceptible to RPG attacks or or ground attacks by air. So they have to bring it in by ground. Do you think it was certainly. money too? Do you think the companies didn't want to pay for, for air in some cases? Oh yeah. My air is expensive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super expensive. Yeah. Uh, it augmenting resources and the use of contractors in general, uh, helped save, you know, the military, a lot of money where they can concentrate on the task at hand, which was war actually and then we could deal with all this other stuff but unfortunately uh that puts us in a defensive posture um where other people don't have that same 
uh, luxury, so to speak, of uh, air support, uh, return fire, QRF, um, even even our weapons and arming authority. I mean, we had to we had to deal with, you know, you guys had the the rules of engagement. We had the rules for the use of force or the rules for the use of escalation of force, and it was like show, shove, shout. Uh, shoot, shoot to kill, you know, that kind of thing. I was going, by the time I got to the fourth S, I said, fuck this, man. You're fucking dead. I remember this is yeah. the biggest joke. I remember that was, I forgot about that. I was like, this is a fucking joke. Look at this thing. Because we were caught, because we were, because actually that first trip to, to uh, Kandahar, to Gecko was under SOC. I was on their mobile OGA, con, o, OGA contract. And then it switched over, Blackwater got it, and then it went direct. But yeah. I still remember getting that first one because we fell under the civilian escalation of force and it was and honestly we shredded it it's like fuck this if i get in trouble i get in trouble if they shoot it at, but it was essentially they got to shoot at us before we can do anything or they got to blow us up before we can do anything and and that carried on through the next you know five six years um yeah, i had one of my gunners shoot a pen flare and somebody thought that they fired an rpg back <laughs> i was just going okay this is not working <laughs> is it, did you find as time went on and, and we did a little bit until i, I moved to the direct side did you find that the caliber of guys got better or worse as the years went on? I, 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 or did it remain the same? It, it, I'd let Ed answer that. He knows a lot better than I do because he, he's more, you know, he has that trainer mindset. Uh, you oh, know, and yeah, you I were training, those, Ed. Yeah. yeah, I was one of those guys that would, I was the weak link on the team. <laughs> You're the um, fucking medic. You are not the weak link, dude. You are no, like the I, yeah. When it came to medicine, but when it came to you know, ta- you know, I'm I'm like a pitcher on a baseball team. You know, I I can I can win a game, but I can't hit for shit. You know, that you. kind of. <laughs> You're special. I got and you. So, sure. uh, and and Ed, Ed, Ed kind of brought it to light. He told me, "Look, man, you I trained you on how to do this stuff. You know how to do that stuff. You can read a map. You can work comps. Uh, you know." If you if you're so worried about uh, doing your job right, why don't you train all these other guys on how to do your job? And if something happens to you, they can take care of you. Of course. And, and so when I did that, I felt a lot better because now I knew that I was training them the right way. Um, you know, uh, Ed's t- training them on uh, on all the weapons, and Dave's training them on tactical driving, and we had a really good solid team. Uh, and then you work together and, until you know uh, corporate dictates certain things like. Uh, drivers or fuel or uh, when you run and, and how you run and things like of that nature. So uh, eventually vetting kind of gets set to the wayside because now you're replacing expats with local nationals. And then the other thing is we had to deal with uh, an Afghan counterpart for SOC. In order to, to function in that country, you have to have uh, okay. like there was a SOC A, SOC Afghanistan. And gotcha. so you have to have Afghanistans on the payroll that one, it's twofold. It, it, it stimulates money into their economy, but uh, it also allows you to expedite your documentation, your paperwork, your arming authority, your operational's license. Well, they're, yeah, expediters. We all, they're like expediters. We call them expediters. It's, that's a friendlier term for extortion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was exactly, exactly. what it was. And so. we found later that one of their expediters, he'd get information and we'd pay him. And then you go to the Iranians and he was expediting for the Iranians. And they were getting, he was getting paid by both sides and he was telling them all the runs we were doing. And it was, it was fucking, that was what pissed me off the most. I felt more unsafe. Yeah, Ed, used, Ed used the fighting season as, as a way to thin out the herd. So, um, and, and that's how he did the evaluations. There were guys that, that, you know, they didn't last a week. 
uh, when they showed up, or there were guys that just did some of the stupidest things that, that we, we didn't tolerate, you know? And so if, uh, if they didn't find their way to the door, then there, we found ways to, to help them out. So, That's but Ed could probably answer that a lot. Better. Yeah. Ed, Ed expound on that, buddy. And, uh, I think at first, uh, at the corporate level, they were all worried about the whole HR aspect. But once they started dealing with the DBA and realized, hey, people yeah. are dying out here, uh, you know, usually it was just a couple of phone calls, a couple of conversations, and, you know, folks would get moved from the mobile program into a static site sure. uh, where they could do a lot less damage. Uh, as for quality control, I think a lot, I, I think, uh, you know, once again, I mean, yeah, sometimes you get a whole bunch of new guys in. I think that happened one time, and then, geez, like, within a month or so, half most of them were gone. And is that where they're on the job training, or is that where you're uh, yeah, it was training at the Crucible in, in, in Northern no, Virginia? No, uh, this was at Sauk, uh, okay, uh, in uh, Afghanistan in uh, 2010. And, uh, yeah, okay. some guys just didn't last long. They didn't have the right mindset. Uh, yeah, and they just had to get out. We just had to uh, find other jobs for them. Uh, uh, I think a lot of it too had to depend on the, uh, the program that you were on and how it was written. Like I know Whips there for a while didn't didn't matter who had the contract, Dine, Blackwater, Sock, because you have to have so many so much boots on deck. Yeah, you would just say, all right, he didn't die during the course. He still has a heartbeat. Get him over there. And uh, you, you, so, I mean, and I'm sure we've all seen some of those examples. Yeah. You're just like, man, what the hell are you doing over here? Hey, uh, Ed, Ed uh, before, because I, I have a few more questions I want to ask. Is, I just <clears> want to <throat> ask, is your wife in the same room or something? Because she's getting picked up like heavily by oh, Mike. If you, yeah. I, I, hold on. Hey. Cool. If you if you just take care of that. Because, <laughs> no, because <laughs> it, it, it is. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, my it wife would be kicking my ass. If I did that to my wife, she would kick my <laughs> ass. That was shit. We got to put the, that's got to be the trailer for the show right there. That's <laughs> the trailer for the fucking show right there. But uh, awesome. no, because because to follow up on something that I wanted to ask you, and, and I know that Chris has asked, has talked about before on the podcast, for example, is you know, at the age basically right before you were 50, Chris, you were like, I got to get out of the contracting world. I want to be home with my family. I have other things I want to work on this public speaking thing. And for you guys, I mean, you, from what you were saying, you guys have been contracting up until five years ago. I don't know if it lasted beyond that. Um, is there a certain point where you're like, I got to tap out of this? Cause for, you know, you guys are older guys in the contracting world and yeah. probably serving alongside guys in their twenties. Right. And once uh, I think eventually everybody, I mean, if, if you're outside the wire, operating outside the wire enough, I think eventually everybody hits that wall. Sure. I know I did. It was in May 2011 at that Morgan Kabul. Uh, I got another buddy. Uh, he was uh, he was working a contract in uh, Afghanistan and he was on his way back sitting in Dubai and he's like, I can't go back. And he called his wife and she said, I right, get on a plane, come home that right now. I mean, it's different for everybody, but I think everybody uh, eventually hits a wall. Uh, what I call, uh, what we call the wall. Uh, and, you know, it's time to get out. It's time, it's time to go. You gotta get out. Well, yeah, I do. I, I, I just like to say, cause to me, when I say hit a wall, I, that to me is like more of a, 
negative context. I just like to say it's closing that chapter. I'm done. 2017 yeah. was my last my last time as contract. And it's like because there there comes a time and I've done it. What else do I got to prove? And a lot of the stuff we do, and it, it is it is a little bit of narcissism. And if the people guys that says it's not, you're lying your fucking asses off. We're trying to prove something to ourselves as well as be a team player. So is it a whole thing? Yeah. It comes to like, all right, have I can I sit on my rocking chair when I'm 80 and be like, fuck, I've lived a good life. And when I thought that way, it was like, you know what? God, I've done enough. What am I haven't done? Well, I haven't been home. I got small kids. So I haven't been home a lot for my kids or I've been a bad husband, not a bad husband. I just haven't been a present husband for 18 years that when it came to like, you know what? I need to start doing that now. I've done all that. I don't need to do that anymore. I know how to, I know how to respond when I get blown up. I know what to do if I get shot at. Good. I've done it. Let's go do this. And I, I think there's guys that can't let that go. And they go down that spiral where they eventually. Yeah, you know, I do. But I, I, and yeah, for people I, I, just listening on audio, you could say just, we're talking, you know, they, they commit, they commit uh, suicide, yourself. guys. They do. Yeah. They commit suicide. And, and I've lost 32 buddies who have done that. 32, not died in combat, just took their lives. And I, I would like you guys to talk about that a little bit. Doc, especially, you know, you I know, you know, being in the medical world, but also Ed, your mindset on when do you stop? And if you can't stop, there's guys that can't. We've got buddies that have been on this show that are still doing it. And that's what they want to do. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just I want your guys' opinion because you don't have to agree with me. You could be like, Tony, you're all fucked <laughs> up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, we, just, well, we've lost a couple of guys. Uh, to I'm sure. Um, sure. We, we've got a chapter in there, Farewell Docs. The interesting thing is that the guys that are gone are docs. You know, so that, that hits a little bit closer to home thinking, well, are we the weaker element or, yeah. you know, uh, is it because of all the stuff that we've seen throughout our lives? But I, I never really played that card. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I work for Community Fire Rescue now. Uh, I'm an engineer, operator, firefighter, paramedic. And the area in Mission Bend and A-Leaf where I work, 75% of the guys that I save are criminals. You know, I, wow. I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, uh, the knife and gun club uh, all over again. I'm just on stateside doing the same kind of stuff. But what got me out of the business was when somebody said, hey, man, you ought to write a book about it. <laughs> and I said, OK, well, there you go. That, that tells you it's time to, to set That's other awesome. things aside and, and, and put pen to paper. And, and that was the that was the therapy for, for both Ed and myself was once we started writing it down, it actually kind of helped, you know, it brought stuff to the surface, but we were actually able to uh, reconnect with a lot of guys because we had sure. to conduct these interviews. Uh, we created a group where we could uh, stay in contact with every, we got like 75 hardcore guys that we talked to on a regular basis. We have our own little Facebook group that uh, they're all excited about the book, of course, and, and whatnot. Um, but as far as uh, PTSD is concerned, uh, it's, it's tough because we we can we can offer our help, but uh, the feedback that we expect to get from guys is, yeah, man, I'm dealing with some tough uh, some tough times or whatever. They, they they don't you don't always get those cues. You don't always know exactly what's going on, and then all of a sudden you get this bad news, and you're saying, I just talked to this guy a couple of weeks ago. I don't understand. You know what happened? What did I miss? And then now you start feeling bad about yourself because you didn't do enough. Uh, to reach out or, or, or whatnot. So uh, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's really hard. Um, I really don't know how to answer that, Chris, to tell you the truth. Well, I mean, actually you did, you you really answered it without even knowing that you're answering it. You just said, <laughs> Hey, I found a way you, you found a way 
you found a way to close to close that chapter and you're still doing something that you enjoy the thing is though as i said you get to come home and at night yeah. when i'm done and that's that, that means you have closed a chapter i've just moved to another chapter of your life and you're still doing that and to well, me, I, i'm not going to mention this guy's name but i got a guy right now um who ran on one of the r1 contracts at uh, at sock in afghanistan and i can tell there's something wrong um you know his his speech is garbled um his his uh his uh chats or texts are fragmented uh it's almost like he's intoxicated when he's writing to me and and of course when i say hey man is anything going wrong i get this big denial so now i'm saying well what can i do to press the issue further how can i find out that this guy really needs my help or is he asking for my help or or maybe he just likes to drink all the time i don't know <laughs> you know so so uh, you know that that's where i'm at right now i don't know how to deal with it well, Doc, on those sort of things, you're doing what you're doing. You got to be. I one thing when I was going through that, I hated when people kept asking me, even though I wanted some help. I didn't like, "Hey, are you okay? Are you okay?" Because I felt weak. But if I had somebody there that I could just, even if it was fragmented, do to do. Okay, he's listening to me, just getting a response. Okay, and eventually, but eventually, when it came down to it, it was up to me. I had to get myself out of it. Nobody else was going to get me out of it. I had to look in the mirror and unfuck myself, literally. And figuratively and but you being there doc and just being and, and this is just my opinion because I, I i do understand that in a bit because i was at that point in, in my life right around 2017 2018 um it, i did want somebody asking me if i was okay because i felt i was weak but i did want somebody to listen if i said hey man are you there it, so you have i had to let him instigate and then we i've lost a couple of buddies were I did just that. I stepped back and let them didn't, I didn't respond. I didn't reach out and say, you're okay. Cause I didn't feel like they needed it. And then, you know, they, they did lose their lives. I, they did take their own lives. I, I, I don't think it's a win-win situation and you shouldn't burn yourself with it. You're doing the right thing. But when it comes down to it, and I'm telling you from a guy that's tried to take his life three times, I'm the only one that could get myself out of it. reading the Bible, yeah. hitting my buddy up every once in a while, our buddies up every once in a while, but eventually looking in the mirror and going, I need to fix myself, man. Right. right. I, mean, I, I mean, you guys have gone through so much shit. I, it's that's what kills me is that we go through so much hell, and we can get through it, but then when we the, the the thing we shouldn't quit on is ourselves and our family, and then we quit on ourselves and our family. That just makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's true. I, they, but, you don't ever look at the the negative side of uh, yeah, your pain is gone, but look at all the pain that you're causing everybody else. And, exactly. And so you got to take one for the team and then step up to the plate. You're doing um, what you, Doc. You're doing what you should be doing. I want you to tell you just being there and being a being a being an heir. You're doing what you should be doing. I I, I don't ever feel like you're not because I believe you are. That's cool. So I want to say something to Ian. Um, we we talk about uh, the book. We talk about all the stories that are associated with the book, and and we feel comfortable talking to guys like like minded individuals because they understand what it's like. Our I think the biggest uh, bridge for us to cross is try to get this story out to the general public. We need to bridge that gap yeah. and, and let the general public know uh, these kinds of stories that they would understand exactly what it was like for us as contractors, uh, where we don't want it to be just a book to security contractors or a book to, to uh, military-oriented uh, uh, personnel. You know, we're trying to figure out a way to get it out to the entire world, so to speak. I mean, this is, after all, it's the United States Postal Service, <laughs> you know, and we were delivering the mail. It's, as mundane as that might sound, um, it's it's a story that that resounds with the general public. It's just 
trying oh, yeah. to bridge that gap is is our biggest issue right now. I, I agree. I mean, I think it's just how it's going to get out there in a distribution type of thing. Because when you think about it, I mean, so many of these books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, have been huge. I mean, we've talked about whether you want to talk about embellishment and all that, but like American Sniper by Chris Kyle, one of the biggest books out there. Everybody knows that book, you know, or or Nick Irving's American Sniper or or uh, Nick Irving was um, the, Reaper, the Reaper or yeah. Chris's, you know, your first uh, book, 13 Hours, I think resonated with the general public. And then all those Brad Thor books, we've had Brad Thor on resonate with the general public. So I think it's just, yeah, I, you definitely wrote something that the general public is going to want to read. The question is just if they're going to be able to find out about it. Um, you know, I know like when David Goggins was on Joe Rogan, he was talking about how he got turned down from all these publishers. And they said, um, we don't know if there's really a market for like a black Navy SEAL, if, if people really care, if there's enough like black people who want to read about a Navy SEAL. And David Goggins was like, I'm not writing this book for black people specifically or this type of demographic. He's like, most of my fans are white guys. And, and most of his fans now are people who listen to Joe Rogan and they've heard him on there. And, and like that book has done tremendous because I think people love the never quit attitude and the resilience and I think your book's going to have the same thing. So I think it's more of a marketing issue and just doing podcasts like these, hopefully, because our audience is definitely not just um, military. There are a lot of guys like me who are civilians. And actually, in the intro segment before we had you on, we were talking about how we got a ton of publicity for this rock interview we did that has nothing at all to do with the military. And a lot of those guys end up checking us out and hearing about these stories. So I think there is a big and, and Chris, you see it. I mean, I think when you do book signings and you do events, I don't, I don't, I think it's right. It's like a 50, 50 civilian and military it, well, demographic. What guys, my advice is, is, uh, and this is what I found out when I started speaking, you know, starting very small doing, and I didn't even know public speaking was a thing until I, until a few years back. Um, but I remember I didn't get picked up for a speaking event because the group couldn't relate to the story. They love the story. They love the heroism. They love everything. Like I said, you guys went through but they can't relate to it. So because of movies like American Sniper, even 13 Hours or Lone Survivor, they see us, and I'm saying this in a very humbly, I'm trying to be humble about it. Um, they see us as being larger than life because the movies portray us that way, where we aren't. We go through the same fucking fuck-ups in life. We grow up the same. We're human just like everybody else. And I realized that, and that's when I started to change the way I spoke. So I will talk about growing up, how I grew up, like everybody else. The only difference I had in me was I just didn't give up. That was it. I fucked up like everybody else. I failed like everybody else. So what I'm saying is, I think your book's going to resonate very, very well with the veteran community, with those that love military. But to cross over into the side that isn't that being relatable, that you're human being, that I, yeah. I have I have fears, right I have sadness. I have gone through a lot in my life where I've screwed up. The only thing is, is I just continue to pick myself back up. And that is where, that's where the crossover comes. And I've been able, I, that, I, and the reason I'm saying it's because I've been able to do that. It was, and um, the civilians, we're telling the people that haven't civilians that we're not anything special. There's no gene that came in me that made me brave or anything. It was who I was around, my father, my mother, my grandfather, you know, it, that sort of thing. And then guys that I was around are men and women both. And that relatability is where you cross over. Then yeah. we're all just civilians. Everybody's civilian. I just chose a different route. 
and then yeah. when shit hit the fan. From, from an editing standpoint, we we took out a, a number of uh, you know uh, acronyms and, and abbreviations. And yeah, that that helps. <laughs> that, 152 <laughs> cuss words. <laughs> that that like, does, oh my god. <laughs> So, yeah, sometimes yeah. I think you do you do have to explain that stuff without talking down to the audience. Yeah. And I think from when I came into this world, mm-hmm. I, I there was definitely a learning curve there. And I needed to be around guys like Chris who could explain this type of thing. And I think that's probably one of the values I bring to the podcast is I am a civilian. So if things get too technical, I can step in here and go, what, the, what are you guys talking about? I mean, when I first started, I didn't know that special operations forces was the umbrella term for Navy SEALs, yeah. for MARSOC, for Army Rangers. And I didn't know that special forces was a diff- was a, a, a branch of the Army separate from special operations as a whole. And I think the, the average civilian picking up a book like yours, they may not know that. So I think explaining that type of thing, but without talking down to the audience. Being like humble, children. just being yeah. extremely humble like you guys are and the relatability comes in. And just just being thankful. I, I am thankful for everything that I've been able to have at this point in time. It's, I think always being thankful, getting that bravado. You got that in you. You don't need to show it to anybody anymore. Yeah. Now it's the now it's the humility. Now it's like God, thank you so much. It was a and I I honestly believe that people thank me. I said don't thank me. It was my honor, and I know you guys feel the same way. We signed. It was my honor to serve this country. That is yeah. the relatability. And then talking about your failures, then opening up being not saying I've ever cried on stage when I've spoken before. Yeah, I have, I have quite often, but that, that makes it relatable. We're human. We have feelings. Yeah, that's, I think that that's probably, uh, you know, a good point because the fact that uh, a lot of times mistakes uh, that are made are, are the endpoints of some of your successes. Yeah. You know, one we <laughs> learn from them and, uh, and we have to mention them because we wouldn't have been in the situation if we hadn't made this mistake in the first place. So that's how you tell the story. So, uh, Definitely. you know, uh, Fail, failing. Hard, go, yeah. go ahead, doc. Go ahead, doc. The hard part for me was, was talking to Ed, uh, cause it's his story. I'm, I'm telling his story that when I'm writing it, it's, it's, putting myself in his shoes type of a deal. And how do I know how a guy that I look up to, he was my mentor. He trained me. How do I, you know, how do I know what he's going through without him actually telling me, Hey man, this is, this was bad stuff, you know? And, uh, and I think that, that we've got that kind of relationship where, you know, it's, it's like a two way range, you know, we're just, we're just kind of pinging off each other, uh, uh, getting a lot of feedback and whatnot. Uh, but in order to to tell the story uh, so that it that it flows uh, properly, that it covers that theme aspect and, and all the things that that make a good book a good book is what we're is what we're trying to accomplish. So, Ed, yeah. Ed I, go go. Ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. What were you saying? You, you I was just. I didn't know. I, I want. Yeah, no. I just. If Ed wanted to follow up with anything, no, I mean, like Al said, I mean, it, it's just uh, you know. As for the whole uh, PTSD, I found that uh, keeping busy when I came home, uh, you know, I first started working at Lowe's, believe it or not. And, but that's you know, awesome. Then, yeah. Then I got into fitness training and, uh, you know, I was a fitness trainer down at a kickboxing gym here in uh, Bend uh, at nine round. And, you know, uh, just keep on, uh, find that sense of purpose also, you know, I like doing the fitness training because, you know, I like to help people, you know, uh, on the gym floor, you know, you sit, see somebody there first time coming in, uh, you got to teach them everything. Then six months later, 
boom, they're showing up as they are uh, to help out run the floor and stuff, you know, because, uh, you know, that they're, they're doing all the moves, right. They got the, all the techniques down, uh, you know, it's finding that sense awesome. of purpose. Like I do yeah. volunteer work down at the uh, veterans ranch here in central Oregon. Uh, it's yeah, a working ranch. And uh, that's a good group. I know those guys. They're good. I mean, I know of the veterans ranch. They're great. do great things. Yeah, uh, central, uh, it's run by uh, uh, Allison, Allison Perry. Uh, I don't know if you've met her or not. I've met him. All I just, I know so on the social media side of the house, oh, I just, okay. I, but yeah, they, I, from what I've seen, they do tremendous stuff down there. Great yeah. You, you know, it keeps, uh, it, it pretty much gives veterans a sense of purpose. So, uh, geez, yeah, they've helped out, uh, quite a few guys, you know, they were like right there on the edge of going out and, you know, now one, uh, they, they're like integral part of the ranch right now running, uh, operations there. Uh, that's awesome. That so awesome yeah that's fair. so you live in you live in oregon now because the accent i was gonna say it was like you have to be a, you have to be a asshole my cousin uh, from boston yeah i'm from boston yeah uh, so did you, did you guys write this book you know uh virtually together through the whole pandemic timeline because you, you know you're in texas alan you're in oregon how, how did it get done well no we way before that 2017 we started yeah. in 2017 that's 27, like Al mentioned earlier, we had the thing with our buddy uh, trying to collect stories for a movie pilot. Uh, I was like, by 2017, I was like, this is it. This is the year. New Year's resolution. We're going to get a book written. And I'm, that's when I brought in Al. I was like, dude, let's uh, do this. And because uh, I know, once again, he was already published in magazines uh, for tactical medicine. So we worked together. And uh, it was just back and forth. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. And then so I'd write a chapter, write a chapter, send it to him. He'd send it back, fix it yeah. up. Yeah, I'm just. And then uh, finally, yeah. I th I think again, as I, with this, it just be humble, be humble, be oh, yeah. what be what what we sh we are, and what everybody that has gone through something that's traumatic or multiple traumatic events. <laughs> There's no need for a, there's no need to be Robert Conrad with the battery on your shoulder anymore. Say, I knocked it. Yeah. Be, be not, I, I, I'm always more skeptical. I'm always more intimidated by somebody that has gone through shit that is extremely humble and happy and, and thankful. It's like, cause I know he probably whooped my ass than somebody that's out there being what, what we think that we need to be and that's somebody that's arrogant as fuck and there's no reason for that you, you yeah. guys have done done it you guys have done everything and, and even more i mean and and um i think people should hear your story they need to hear your story you know at marine ed they need to hear your stories and doc same with you and set the example of how to get through adversity every day you, you, yeah you don't you don't cry when the shit's going on the battle for you you, you fucking do the job but now we're back home and it's okay to show emotion now. We yeah. all have to. I do. I still do. I, it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. And when you see that, then people, people that haven't gone through, it relates though. Because now they can relate to maybe a traumatic event in their life. It doesn't have to be war. It can be a car crash. It can yeah. be, you know, the death of a family member. It can yeah. be, you know, it can be... It can be as traumatic as blowing out your knee, doing rappelling, and now you got to go through. <laughs> I bet that's where it's, it it becomes relatable now. It's like you know what I can relate to that. I, I haven't been through it, but I understand the feelings. How did he get through it? I can do that, and that's yeah. that's how it gets that's how it gets crossed over, 
and it's no longer fucking bad i'm some badass out there in the combat zone i was a dude on yeah the but so, some zone. of those books like that were huge so i i don't know i think civilians do like to read just military stories i, I, I really do i think there's a huge market for it and one and one thing this book is going to show when you say 2017 there's so many people who want to write a book who listen to the show and i think when it shows man five-year process of, oh yeah you know, it's finally out there it shows this does not happen overnight. It's it's a long time of writing yeah. the book and then editing it the way that you want it and getting the perfect thing out there that you know is going to appeal to a broad audience. So once again, it, for the audience, it's out today. I'm going to have to talk to you guys because we'll figure out the link I could post in here so that people could order it. Um, because as you said, I think it, it should be on Amazon by the time people hear this on Monday. Um, postcardsthroughhell.com to learn more, postcardsthroughhell.com. And then do you guys have any separate social media or anything like that? Or is postcardsthroughhell.com really the best way to find you? No, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble right will, will get carried online. Uh, we have a Kindle version. And uh, I guess the publisher uh, goes to a distributor, a wholesale distributor that has links to other online bookstores that I don't, I'm not aware of who they but are. You but you guys aren't on Instagram or Facebook or any of that. Oh yeah. Awesome. We, we have uh, we should have uh LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram accounts. Yeah. They're not as, as heavy uh, as Facebook, but uh, I know we're trying to manage uh, between the two of them uh, back and forth. So uh, Ed does a lot better job, you know, so where not, Ed, what, what are the best places to people for people to find you on social media? Then? I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. But what is it? Postcards through hell? Oh, uh, no, it'll be uh, under my name. Uh, Ed you know, Ford. there's going to be a million Edward Fords. That's a little bit tough. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if you had like at postcards through hell or, oh, or something geez, like that. Uh, well, that's no, something cool. Do. People could just go to the website then. That's probably the best yeah, way is yeah. postcardsthroughhell.com. Yeah, and we're carrying we're carrying their links uh, on the, the website as well. So uh, um, it's definitely doable. Yeah. By the way, Chris missed that because I was saying. Sorry. I, I, no, no, no. But we were talking Facebook and he's like, yeah, it's just Ed Ford. And I'm like, Ed, you know, there's going to be a million Ed Fords on Facebook. <laughs> like, I'm like, do you have a specific is, link? What are you here? talking about? That is not a common name. Ed or Ford. <laughs> Never. Ah, uh, dude, you guys, I I, I knew be, this is going to be good in the book. The stuff, we used to call them milk runs. Milk runs are the most dangerous out there because they're time and place predictable. They're, yep. they're, they're always, especially if you're running, you're, you're like, just, you never get everything you need. So you're getting the worst, worst vehicles in the worst shape. <laughs> you know, you're fucking tired because you're running all the time, same time, never any sleep on the, and especially Afghanistan. And like I said, during the winter time, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. It's bad during the fucking springtime, but in the wintertime, it's not the, it's not the bullet you have to worry about. It's the damn road conditions. Yeah. And even in Kabul, the sewers, the open sewers, when they get covered up with snow, you can't see that shit. And literally, yeah. I remember almost bottoming a bottom. And when you're in that heavy of a vehicle, bottoming out in a in a sewer, I didn't see driving some yeah. back to some alleyway. And and now you're stuck. And here you are again. Now you're fucking fixed position. And anyway, uh, guys, uh, you guys are awesome. I, I depended on you. I know a lot of my GRS brothers depended on you. Um, you 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 sacrificed, you guys, and the guys that did pass. You know, God bless them. They sacrificed their lives to keep the morale of us up, which helped us do our job. And that meant a lot to, to guys like myself, especially when you're not home at Christmas and Thanksgiving and neither were you guys at certain times. So 
it did not go unnoticed. And and I'm glad that we got this. I, I didn't know you even, I didn't know anybody. So I'm glad you got, I did. Did we find them or did they find us? Whatever happened. No, you guys, you guys reached out to us actually a that was long awesome. time ago. It was Thank probably you. six to eight months ago. And I said, let's do it closer to when the book comes out because I want people to hear the interview and then buy the book. I didn't well, want, you know, because because yeah. the attention span of the public, it's 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 just short. Yeah. That's the way it is. There's, there's a million books out there. There's a million podcasts out there. So it makes more sense to do it now that people could hear this interview and go, man, I need to hear these stories. I'm going to go out and buy the book. And you guys are awesome. Yeah. Bottom well, line is, is you guys are fucking amazing and you did great. And it's just it was a good episode for me to reminisce in the crucible. We did a lot of our training up there in Northern Virginia with the agency. We'd come in and sneak in. I remember what Dinecore was a big deal back in the day. And I think right around that time frame, 2011, they started to find that it was not economically feasible to do security anymore. And they were making tons of money everywhere else. So yeah. that's when they cut it. I remember those days too, because they were they were running. This is what bothers me a little bit. And then we'll get off of this. I, you guys can do, I, I'm sorry, I'm keeping you. The birds that we were using on the OGA side of the house, they were all owned by Dyncourt. So it made no sense to me that they could supply you with birds because that's who was our pilots and our birds, all our hips were Dyncourt flown and Dyncourt owned. And then we supplied the gunners, the, the door gunners, if we wanted to go up, if we weren't doing missions on the ground. So like, the motherfuckers, the those motherfuckers, they said they couldn't have use. All of our helicopters were all fucking Dicor owned and Dicor piloted. Those motherfuckers. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it comes down to how that contract's written for that uh, scope of work, and uh, yeah. yep. are you willing to pay for it? And that's where it comes down to. It comes down to corporate money and yep. lives. Lives don't mean shit except to the guys on the ground. Then lives mean everything to your brothers. And that you guys, yeah, yeah you guys are awesome. You guys did amazing shit. I I, I love you, man. Great job. Thanks, Chris. Oh, thanks. Thanks a Absolutely. lot, buddy. Thank you. So, so, no, thanks for coming on. The last things I'm going to mention for the audience um, before we get out of here, for one, be sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Like if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a comment. All of that stuff helps us out greatly. And then Jeremy Mitchell is running a contest for us for subscribers to the, the YouTube channel. He's taking care of all that. And we're going to have like amazing prize packs, stuff from yeah. Fort Scott Munitions, stuff from all over the place. So he's going to basically anyone who's subscribed, you're entered. There's nothing else you need to do. You just need to no. hit the subscribe button on YouTube because Jeremy was saying there's a way for him to see who's yeah. subscribed. We can track uh, it. Yeah. So I said to Jeremy, you take care of all that. Um, and he's taking care of that whole contest. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. It's as easy as that. And I've been talking about doing a Patreon where we'll have a new show up uh, every other week or so. And we're going to continue to do that. It's probably going to be closer to the new year. We want to shoot a video teasing it all out. We're going to do some cool stuff like that um, canvas back there, the battle line one behind Chris, behind me. We're going to do like a new canvas every month for listeners who are subscribed to the top tier. And we're going to do like a comic book style one. And we're going to number all of them, sign them. And uh, so we're going to have just awesome stuff available for like the hardcore listeners of this show. That Patreon will be up closer to the new year. So make sure you check it out when we have it up. Uh, and just stay subscribed to all of us in every platform. Um, great to have you guys on. This was a great episode. And I knew it would be, you know, it, every now and again, either of you guys would email me and be like, hey, I hope you haven't forgotten about this. And of course we didn't. I just wanted to make sure that it happened closer to the release of the book. And, uh, and I think, like I said, there's so many people in this audience who have read Chris's book, who have read uh, Brad Thor, and then have read stuff like 
Jocko's bucket, and and when we're talking about failures and all that, I mean that's what Jocko got famous for is really his book uh, that he co-authored. It was um, Late Babbitt and Jocko Extreme Ownership, and it was all about their failures. And I think civilians related to that. And I think civilians will be able to relate to your book and take it into their own life and their own perspective. So uh, great to have you on, and uh, and we'll talk with you again at, at some point and stay in touch. All, all right. right, thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you, Ian. All Thank right. you, Chris. Take care, See Marie. you later, Chris. Take Doc, care, Doc, 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 Doc. 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 Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never Never quit. quit.